Now this is podcasting. Welcome back to We Watch Movies. My name is Forrest. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend, Elijah. Elijah, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm pretty good, and I'm impressed that you made that really cheesy opening joke land pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. You could could be a news anchor with a delivery like that. Well, that is my goal in life, to be a news anchor. Or any kind of anchor. Ship anchor. Could be a ship anchor. News anchor. Podcast anchor. anchor Are there any other types of anchors? Ship those and three, news and podcast. Just and those. podcast. <laughs> that was not a segue into an advertisement for Anchor, but if we were monetizing, Anchor is a great way to get your podcasts out there for free. That actually wasn't sponsored, but who knows? It might yeah. be in the future. <laughs> yeah, we should probably do that. All right. So today, Elijah, we are doing a director highlight our first director highlight and we're talking about really matters (laughs) we are talking about he is both of our favorite directors uh christopher nolan Uh and i am really excited for this i've not been so excited for a podcast yet his biggest fans call him chris (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we are talking about chris today and I'm pretty excited. So in the first segment, we're going to be watching. We've watched and we're going to discuss The Prestige and his 2000 hit, really his launching point, Memento. Yeah, buddy. I am pretty excited about those. In our second segment, we will be ranking all 10 of Christopher Nolan's films. Well, theatrical films. Yeah, his feature-length films. We'll be ranking all 10, or at least I will, because I have more time on my hands, so I can do things like watch all 10 Christopher Nolan films in five days. Elijah, unfortunately, has a life. Has a life. (laughs) And a fiancé. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. you know, important things. Yeah. But I know the most important thing is Chris and his movies, so. That is true. So Elijah didn't get a chance to watch the following, I'm sorry, following and insomnia. So he'll be ranking the eight eight he's seen. I'll be ranking. Yeah. I'll be ranking the 10, which is a good time to say there is a full spoiler warning in effect for every Christopher Nolan film with the exception of following and insomnia, which we won't spoil today. We will probably talk about both of those in more detail in a later episode. But today, really, those eight films are no-holds-barred spoilers. So, Elijah, any more thoughts before we... Oh, Tenet. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about Tenet. um, Obviously, we are super good at planning and uh, (laughs) planned to do this episode literally the week after the newest trailer for Tenet dropped. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because we're just geniuses like that. So Tenet yeah. mm-hmm. has a new trailer. And it does. I need this movie so badly. I <laughs> have already convinced my fiance to go see it with me in IMAX on opening weekend. <laughs> um, shout out to Jackie for being awesome. Shout out to Jackie for being awesome. And 
living. I've never met her, but uh, I'm sure she's great. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She puts up with my obsessions. Uh, yeah, it takes a special kind of person to put up with someone's obsessions, especially yours. Are you just calling yourself special? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was hoping you wouldn't notice, but you are a perceptive one. Jackie appreciates Speed Racer. But does she like it? She does. Okay, I think love has blinded her, all right? <laughs> Jackie, love has blinded you. Blinded no. by the love. Speed Racer is the best. Okay, you know what? Speed Racer is not a Christopher Nolan film. We're talking about Tenet here. <laughs> Tenet. So, so we record Chris on bought, Thursday. No, no, no. Just we're, we're skipping no, hang that. On. Chris bought a 747 and blew it up. Chris bought a 747 and blew it up. So we record on Thursdays. Okay, can we skip that part again? And not this movie ten looks minutes awesome. <laughs> after we, okay, you know what? We, we don't. I don't think it intro. Intro. it's just what I'm doing. It's it's, it's <laughs> ten. All right, it's Elijah. Amazing. Why don't you tell me what you're most excited about? What what stood out to you from the trailer? Uh, okay. Well, he bought a 747 and crashed it into a building. <laughs> That's cool. Robert because Pattinson. That was cheaper than, uh, yeah, it was cheaper than using uh, miniatures, apparently, somehow. And um, CG. Yeah. He hates CG. I don't think he's ever used CG. Well, he had to an inception, I suppose. They couldn't flip a city. That was all real. <laughs> all of it. Uh, and I guess Interstellar probably had some CG. Just a little bit. I thought Inception, they just went into dreams and filmed in dreams. Yeah. You didn't know that? No. They had to CG the dream inside the dreams though. <laughs> someone um, dreamed a green screen. Someone was not very <laughs> imaginative. Yeah. So the 747 looks All right. nuts. Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. looks awesome. I love him. Uh, Robert John Pattinson David. looks like the best part of that movie. I'm yes. very excited for Robert Pattinson. He seems like um, Tom Hardy from Inception. Like that sort of vibe. Yes, I agree. Eames. Yes, Eames is awesome. Um, also, the backward car chase or the backward car crash looks nuts. Everything everything backward looks just nuts. looks insane. <laughs> um, catching the bullet and the gun that's already been fired. I, I don't even know, man, but I love it and I need it. It's already my favorite movie. I've been texting friends all week saying, hey, have you seen the Tenet trailer? They say, no, what's it about? I'm like, you really got to watch it yourself. It's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, you just say that because you don't An inversion. Know. Yeah, inversion. And time. And everyone on Reddit. Everyone on Reddit was and like. And Michael Caine. <laughs> always. I love Michael Caine. Always. Um, Michael Caine is always a win. Michael Caine is gold. Except in Jaws 4. Um mm. You had to remind me. I hated that movie. On Reddit, Reddit, everyone was calling Tenet the uh, final chapter of Chris's uh, IN trilogy because we have Inception, Interstellar, Mm -hmm. and Inversion. Mm. And Insomnia. Oh, it's the quadrilogy. Wow, that's Mm kind of weird, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's... I love Christopher Nolan. He is amazing. I am so excited for Tenet. I'll be right there with, well, not, I'll, I'll be in a different theater watching it opening weekend. 
but I'll be right there with you Mm -hmm. watching it. It's Mm going to be great. Can't wait. We'll definitely be talking about it as soon as we can on the podcast. Yes. It's going to be great. It'll probably be our first new film that we will be discussing on the podcast. So that's exciting. First theatrical reaction. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for that. Yes. All right. Do Do you think we've spoken enough about Tenet? I think so. All right. Do you want to, let's start off with Memento. But you said we'd start with the prestige before. Fine. You know what? Let's start with the prestige because Elijah is particular and obsessive. I'm just doing what you say. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. We are going to start with the prestige and Elijah, why don't you tell us a little bit about the prestige? Prestige is a period movie about musicians being mad at each other and trying Mm -mm. to figure out each other's tricks and uh, magicians not musicians oh i did it too magicians yes you did (laughs) it's about a very aggressive saxophonist um, (laughs) and his rival charlie parker piano player (laughs) it's about smunk it's about two rival magicians um Mm, there we go yeah uh, they're trying to figure out each other's tricks and one-up each other and scarlett johansson is also there and of course so is michael kane um michael kane and it's well, I guess since we're spoiling it, it's super twisty and turny and insane and yeah. It's, so you didn't spoil anything there. You just said it's I, well. Twisty. I was gonna just say the twist, but that doesn't really fit oh. in a plot description. <laughs> it's true. Basically, also, the main thing that Hugh Jackman's character oh, it stars Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, David Bowie, Michael mm-hmm. Caine, Scarlett Johansson. Um, David Bowie. Yeah, he's great as Tesla. Can I just point out? Yeah, I just want to point out how great David Bowie is as Tesla. David Bowie is pretty awesome. David Bowie is great as Tesla. He's pretty great as Tesla. Andy Serkis shows up. Yeah, it's a party. He's not in mocap. It's amazing. It's a rare Andy Serkis Serkis sighting. All right, so give me your general thoughts on this yeah. film. What do you think of it? Uh, I mean, it's great. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Super entertaining. The performances are top-notch. I love the idea of this battle of magicians and uh, both twists. One of them is just kind of like, oh, okay, that's crazy. And I'm sure on rewatch, it will be very apparent. And the second one is very dark. Um mm. <laughs> So the first one being, if you don't mind, I'll describe the main thing Hugh Hugh Jackman's character is trying to do is replicate Christian Bale's uh, uh, teleporting man trick where he walks into one door and walks out the other door. And these two doors are like completely separate room. Like it seems impossible. And um, at the end, we find out that Christian Bale is actually twins which is like on the surface level, a super dumb twist. But if you pay attention to the movie, it really works how the different twins behave toward the love interest, Scarlett Johansson. One of them actually loves her and one of them doesn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is the twins don't just switch for the trick. Every time they perform the trick, they switch lives. Like whoever comes out of the second door assumes the role 
of the magician and the other one takes on the role of his right. assistant. Um, right. Which is just nuts, but also really cool. And then in his quest to try and replicate this trick, Hugh Jackman discovers with the help of Tesla, some crazy cloning thing. And the nuts thing when he performs the teleporting man trick is he clones himself and then mm-hmm. to make sure the cloning doesn't get out of control, the new clone kills the previous version of himself. Yeah. It's absolutely, it, it's hard to understand. It doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was at the, the first time I watched it at the end, which is the last shot is just Hugh Jackman floating dead in a water tank. Um, right. I was just like, um, okay. (laughs) And it took me a little while to realize the impact of that shot because this guy just to try and do a trick, a magic trick is literally killing himself every night. That's real dark. Well, it just speaks to his obsession and his desire for revenge on Christian Bale's character who I cannot remember for the life of me, unfortunately. I'm not going to remember any of the names in this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What what do you think of it? Yeah. I wanted to go back to the first twist you mentioned, which was the Christian Bale's character being two brothers, two twin brothers. I was surprised by that. I thought it was a very clever twist it's interesting, his assistant, he's very well disguised. And at least for me, you may have noticed it was Christian Bale beneath all the makeup, but I didn't recognize it was Christian Bale. Oh, I didn't and, either. Yeah. So that whole twist, I thought, was very good. I didn't think it was dumb, personally. I enjoyed it. But then on the rewatch, it gives so much more value to a second rewatch because you understand the twist and then you look back at all these different scenarios and you're like, yep, that that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I really enjoyed that and it adds to the rewatchability of the film. The second twist really bothered me so much because for the majority of the film, I was on team Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I should say. Now I, I think you're meant to be, honestly. Right, right. Because their portrayal of Christian Bale, he's the antagonist. He is having an affair on his wife. You're led to believe. What? What? Yeah, it's not actually, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. As you learn later, he's not. It's the one twin having a relationship with Scarlett Johansson's character, and then the other twin being married and having a daughter but prior to the twist and the realization you think that he's living this double life in effect he was but yeah so for the whole film i'm on the hugh jackman train and i'm just wanting him to exact his revenge finally get the leg up because in a lot of the situations and of course not everything hugh jackman did to Christian Bale was appropriate. Well, none of it was. So he shoots his fingers off after the accident where his wife dies in the uh, water tank trick. Uh And then 
Christian Bale comes back at him and they keep going back and forth. I don't know if it was, and I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on it, but it seemed to me that a lot of the retaliation from Bale's character seemed disproportioned, specifically the scene where the, Hugh Jackman's character is doing the teleporting man and he drops below the stage and the giant pile has been the giant pillow basically has been removed and he breaks his leg. Do you recall that? Yeah. Yeah. So then when you get to the end of the film and you have that twist of Hugh Jackman being the antagonist of the film and Christian Bale being the protagonist, it shocks you because your preconceived notions of the film and who you should be supporting change like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very jarring. And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of why at the end of my first viewing, I had that, uh, what? Okay. <laughs> um, reaction. Right. Cause I was still processing a lot of it, but when you take a step back from it and look at it as a whole package, it really comes together beautifully and there's so much well first off before i say that i just want to say the dedication that the christian bales have to this freaking trick is nuts mm -hmm. after his fingers get shot off the other one chops his own fingers off with a kitchen knife it's absolutely insane that's that's nuts so props to them i guess um <laughs> But the other thing, I love all the subtle foreshadowing, like the bird dying in the cage during right. uh, one of the tricks just is a perfect uh, foreshadowing of Hugh Jackman dying in the water tank every night. Um, it's very, it's masterfully crafted and put together down to the uh, Michael Caine's semi-famous uh, just explanation of how a magic trick works. Right. The whole structure of the film kind of fits into that. Right. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. The whole film is set up into those three parts and ends with the prestige. It is, it, it, it's such a good film. It is so good. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, it's interesting point you brought up about Christian Bale's commitment to his craft in this film. I'm sorry. Alfred Borden, Christian Bale's character, Alfred Borden. I'm still going to say Christian Bale. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Some of us are better than others. It's fine. <laughs> Borden's commitment to the art of magic or illusion, as you said, was so intense that they kept up this ruse of being one person. The one twin cuts off his fingers when the others are shot off. And by the end of the film, you realize that Borden is such a better magician than Angier yeah. because he's willing to do things that Angier is not willing to do. Angier being Hugh Jackman's character. And then Hugh Jackman, Angier at the end, when in the final scene where Borden shoots Angier and he's dying and he's trying to rationalize himself and saying that it took courage every night to get stand up on that stage and not know if he was going to be the man in the tank or the man on the stage yeah. receiving the praise. And 
Borden looks at him and says, I don't care. Yeah. And just just think about that for a second. Hugh Jackman got up on that stage every mm-hmm. night knowing it was very likely he was going to die. Right. And he kept doing it. That yeah. I can't imagine the mental capacity it takes to be that obsessed with with just anything honestly he was so obsessed he was willing to die every night it's just absurd both of these men are so obsessed and it ruins all of their lives to i'm gonna say all of their lives it ruins all their lives the angier it dies the one borden is executed the other lives and is able to live with his daughter, but his wife commits suicide. So all of their lives end in tragedy or are tragedy for the one Borden. Yeah. And you realize this obsession, how unhealthy it is when any one of them at any time could have walked away yeah. and been made peace and had a very happy life. Yeah. It's, honestly tragic how much Mm -hmm. they destroyed themselves for the sake of literally a magic trick. And the only two people who seem to understand that are Cutter, Michael Caine's character, and then Tesla. Yeah. And Tesla warns Angier because Angier travels to America convinced that Nikola Tesla built some machine for Borden for this teleporting man trick. Yeah. And he asks Tesla to build one of these machines for himself. And Tesla's very hesitant and says he'll build this machine. And after building it, he tells him that if he basically the best thing to do with the machine is to destroy it. And Andrew does not heed his advice. Yeah. Also, I'd like to point out one of the most clever and intriguing images in any Nolan movie is uh, the top hats. Um, Hmm. I love that this movie opens with the top hats. Yeah. Because you, it's first of all just a really cool image, and you really don't know what it means until the end of the movie. And then it all clicks and it's just representative of all of the Hugh Jackmans who have died for the sake of the trick. Just on a director's note, that's such a, that's such a Christopher Nolan thing to do. I think a lot of his films, he shows you a scene or a moment and you don't understand it. But then later in the film, it comes full circle and you finally understand it. And this is another great, Inception is a masterclass of that. Absolutely. I agree. But in this instance, as well, as you mentioned with the top hats, it's executed wonderfully. Yeah. Also, I'd like to say that it is so impressive that Tesla just straight up created a cloning machine. (laughs) (laughs) I know it is. that's, That's the discovery, the invention of like the era. That's pretty amazing. That would be the invention of any era. 
Yeah, that that would be about it. Also, the fact that the clones themselves have the full consciousness of the previous of the original copy is insane. But if I if I were Angier, I would have retired from magic and just sold top hats. <laughs> yeah, you get to produce them for free. You just have <laughs> or to kill yourself. Anything else? Yeah, I guess you could just clone <laughs> the top hat though. You don't have to clone yourself. You don't have to kill yourself. Yeah, I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah, you can just clone the top hat. <laughs> Much less death. Gone to the officials for review. You can just clone the top hat. Yes. But it, in the end, I mean, it's it's a fantastic Nolan puzzle movie. And it's, yeah. it's another one that where everything really clicks. I I think this one less so, or... I don't know. Might be more so, more so than his other original movies. Mm-hmm. Hides its emotional core. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems very cold and almost unforgiving on first viewing, and you have to actually think about it and think about the concepts that you were shown to, yeah, for me at least to feel much for the characters. But once you do, you really understand just how insane and how devastating the events of the movie are for everyone involved. Um, whereas opposed as in like interstellar or inception, um, they're much more emotionally present throughout the runtime of the movie. Right. Another thing to note, that's not a bad thing, by the way, just just thinking and such. Right. Another thing to note, and I thought was interesting is this is one of two films, I believe, that are based on previous works. Insomnia was a remake of a 1997 Norwegian film. And this movie was based off of a 1995 novel by Christopher Priest. But I just want to point out how much of Christopher Nolan is still in this film. While the plot has already been written in the book, there's so much that is classic Nolan in it that he just puts his stamp on this film and it doesn't feel like he is doing someone else's work. I I completely agree. It's Mm. I'd almost call, I think classic Nolan quote unquote is really to do with film structure more so than anything. Mm -hmm. He has other hallmarks. He has his practical effects. He has his large casts. He has his twists and turns and creative ideas. Right. But what makes Nolan movie a Nolan movie is the insane structure and how mm-hmm. everything hides everything else until just the right moment. Um, right. I mean, and, and, he, and, he took a war yeah. movie. He took a war movie and made it yeah. into a Nolan puzzle box movie. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, his first two films were like that, Memento and Following. And you just maybe, kinda, maybe most of all for Memento. Yeah, abs- uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited to talk about that one. That's a good one. I'm ready to move on whenever you are. I want to talk about it too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's do final thoughts and ratings scores for the prestige. Yeah, um, I'll be honest. It's not my favorite Nolan movie. It's toward the bottom of. It will be toward the bottom of my ranking, actually. 
Um, but it's a Nolan movie, so that automatically, at least so far, means it's <laughs> very good at least. Um, so The Prestige, again, I prefer feeling that emotional investment during the runtime of the movie. Um, but thinking about it and just the crazy structure, the unique twists, the insanity, the sudden darkness of the whole thing, and just thinking about how all these characters are affected by this, this obsession with this one trick um, elevates the movie a lot for me. Um, so I, I'm going to give The Prestige uh, an 8 out of 10. That is still a great score. Like you said, Christopher Nolan, one of these directors, I personally think he has not directed a bad film or even a meh film or even an okay film. So even if this film would be towards the bottom, it's still a very good film. As I've heard someone state before, Christopher Nolan's peaks are better than most directors' valleys. And that shows... I think you got that a little backward. Nolan's valleys are better than most Mm -hmm. peaks. Yep, you are correct. But I get get what you're saying. You can try again if you want. Go ahead. Christopher Nolan's valleys are better than most directors' peaks. Hey, wow, that's so deep and insightful. I'm glad you nailed that. Thanks, man. I try. (laughs) I try. This is my sister's favorite film all time. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. She loves it. She absolutely loves this movie. Did she She see it for the first time the other day? No, no. Okay. She watched it years back when I first watched it, and she loved it so much. She loved it more than I did, which surprised me. That's awesome. And she she usually doesn't like dark endings, so I was really surprised and she's told me it's not that she doesn't like dark endings she just wants good endings and apparently this was a good dark ending and i would have to agree it was a good ending yeah endings don't get much darker outside of horror movies Mm, agreed yeah so what you got for this film your score i would yeah i would give it an 8.5 nice very yeah very respectable great movie it is a good movie yeah all right, so we are moving on to Memento. Memento. It is. It was really the launching point for Christopher Nolan's career. Yeah, he had released Following, mm-hmm. but this this I mean, was the first yeah. movie that got everyone's attention, and, and rightfully so. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this movie is nuts. It's about uh, a character named Leonard, who. Lenny. <laughs> it's about a character named Leonard Lenny who has a special condition. It's a special type of amnesia um, where he cannot remember. He has very short-term memory, so he can't form new memories past the traumatic event that caused the condition. So the only thing he, he remembers everything that happened before this traumatic event, and that traumatic event was someone breaking into his house and murdering his wife. Um, Mm -hmm. So he, due to injuries he sustained during that attack, he can't form new memories, but all he remembers is that this guy killed his wife and 
his name is John G, I think, but that's discovered during the movie. Um, and to help him with his memory, he tattoos facts and clues he gathers about the killer all over his body, which is a very cool visual and also pretty creative. And throughout the movie, you just get inside this guy's head and what it's like to have this condition because the movie, or at least most of it, is told backward. I love it. It's love nuts. It. Literally, the first shot of the movie is the last event chronologically, and it somehow works because it is still super tense and you have no idea what's going to happen. Have you ever been more confused in the opening moments of a film than when watching Memento? I'm not sure. Inception could give it a run for its money. <laughs> that, that's that's fair. Inception is very confusing but, at start. Yeah. Memento, it does a good job of establishing what's happening, sort of. Mm -hmm. Like, it does a good job if you know what it's like. But if you don't, you're kind of just like, why is everything going backward? <laughs> yeah. No, it's very true. It takes probably a good, what, what would you say, 15, 20 minutes before the viewer come gets along with the, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but the technique the used. The structure. The structure of the film, and then you can begin to understand and put the puzzle pieces together. I'd say so. I think... I, I don't know what the Oscar noms were in 2000, but this movie should have been nommed for best editing because whoever put this thing together, brilliant. That, that's a masterclass in editing right there. Um, everything's <laughs> true. Everything flows so perfectly backward because they have overlaps in memorable dialogue lines. So you're like, it, when you hear a certain line, it rings a bell and you're like, oh yeah, we just saw the beginning of this ending before <laughs> right so to answer your question at the academy awards it it was nominated for best original screenplay and best film editing okay good i think it deserves both of those right right is it kind of interesting talking about my sister again the other day I, she was asking me about the film and i told her the premise of it she hadn't seen any posters any trailers or anything like that knew nothing about it and i told her that the guy had short-term memory loss and was out to avenge the death of his wife and she says uh, she says how does he remember things does he like write it on his body I was there like, you go yes actually <laughs> yes yes he does <laughs> all right yeah so this was a film that i hadn't seen one of the few nolan films i hadn't seen prior to this weekend and I didn't know what to expect and sitting there watching it unfold. I was blown away. One of the strongest things of this film is the structure that we've previously talked about it moving backwards. It going backwards gives you the same. It puts you in the mind of Leonard Guy Pierce's character because just like him, you don't know anything that's about it. You don't, you don't know anything. Yeah. You don't remember anything because you haven't seen anything. And it is a great parallel to his own short-term memory loss. And so when you see you know, someone show up, are you, you as a viewer are questioning, can I trust this guy? Can I not? And then when Leonard goes to his own notes and his Polaroids 
and sees the notes he's written on the Polaroids because he has a stack of photos he's taken with faces on them and notes on those individuals to remember certain people and details. Just like Leonard, you're trying to figure out who everyone is and then he looks at the notes and you can tell whether or not you should be trusting someone or not. Yeah. It's also, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And this is the other carry on Moss film. The, the other, the other being the matrix. Yeah. She's been in more than two movies though. The only ones that are important are, I was kind of being tongue in cheek there. I, I get it, but that would only work if she was in movies. Like if she wasn't in any other movies except Memento and the three matrix movies, she's been in other things. I will say that. This is the other film of note. Okay. That okay. Has been in. I can give you that one. That's what I meant from the beginning. But she was in she was in Silent Hill Revelation 3D. What? How did I miss that one? <laughs> oh. Wait, she was in the Bye Bye Man. Apparently she was in the Bye Bye Man. Carrie, what are you doing? She was also know. in a lot of other things. Yeah. That I don't know. Same. Oh, I, I saw Pompeii. That wasn't good. <laughs> okay, so Carrie Ann Moss. That's a good. That's a good transition. She is amazing in this movie. Also, her character yeah. is despicable. I hate her. She's the worst, and you like her at the beginning. That was the other thing I wanted to point out was the notes we just talked about on the Polaroids. He's got these notes about you can trust this person, you can trust that person, and he made he had written a note about. Natalie carry on Moss's character and basically says she will help you because she's sympathetic to your problem right so yeah. that instantly that instantly makes Leonard trust her no matter if it's the second third fourth or fifth time he's meeting her mm-hmm. and you as the viewer trust her as well because she comes off as sympathetic and she comes off as someone who's helpful. And there's this one But at the scene. same time, <laughs> there's this one scene. But at the same time, you also see above the one note on the Polaroid, another note that's been scratched out. And I don't know about you, but when I was watching it, I was like, huh, I kind of would like to know what that means. Just a little bit. And just a little bit. And Christopher Nolan gives us our answers as always. But talk about that scene. So, in one of my favorite scenes in the movie, mm. like uh, her name, her name is Natalie Carrie Ann Moss's character. She correct, just totally uses Leonard's condition against him um, by basically yelling at him, saying a whole bunch of crap, spitting like a lot of truth and that she she's she basically tells him she's a bad guy her boyfriend or husband or whatever is a bad guy and she's been lying to him this whole time basically <laughs> and then she walks right. out of the house gets in her car 
waits like five minutes as Leonard is desperately trying to find a pen to write all of this down. But she had taken all the pens and she comes back in five minutes later and he doesn't remember any of it. And she just talks to him like she's all nice and he totally believes it because he doesn't remember. It's despicable and so interesting. Have you ever felt worse for a character watching on screen than watching this helpless, innocent Leonard totally falling prey to Natalie's scheme? Well, I did until the beginning. Oh, <laughs> the beginning. Yeah. I think we yeah, need to talk is, about the beginning ending. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Before that, do you want to talk a little bit about, oh, what's his name? Teddy. Teddy. Yeah, let's introduce Teddy into the conversation here. Yeah. So Teddy, right from the beginning of the movie, is like this buddy-buddy guy. He's a cop. He gets all buddy-buddy with Lenny and just seems to seems to be his friend. But the thing that adds so much tension to the whole movie and every scene with him is that Leonard's Polaroid of Teddy says, do not trust his lies. That's what he wrote mm-hmm. on it. There's some crossed out material and do not trust his lies. And the whole time, every time Teddy's on screen, you are like, okay, what is going on? What is up with him? Um, and it, I think it also says at the beginning of the film, which is the end of the story, he has a note on the Polaroid saying he's the guy. Yeah. Yep. That gets added though at the beginning right. of the movie. Right. Which is the end of the story. <laughs> right. So for the remainder of the film, you're thinking this is dating Lenny. How's he going to figure it out? Yeah. How's he going to, how's he going to figure out that Teddy's the guy? Right. So obviously the guy being the guy who killed his wife. Um, But the reveal at the end of the movie is that Lenny has already killed the guy who killed his wife and he's killed many people who he thought killed his wife and has simply forgotten, not been satisfied with that because he can't remember and just keeps inventing this preconceived revenge thriller for himself. And the worst part is Teddy explains all this to him and Teddy's legitimately been trying to help him, help him beat this. And he just gives him more John G's to find and all that. Right. But Lenny gets so angry and turns on him. And at the beginning of the story and the end of the movie, he writes, do not trust his lies and turns Teddy into the next John G, which is how he ends up finding him or how he ends up killing him, which is the first shot of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it's bonkers. And for me, it's it was kind of like, okay, who, who the heck is this Teddy guy? I Even after the reveal that Leonard wrote the note just to basically screw Teddy. I was, I was still kind of had this feeling like, who is this guy? Do I trust him? Do I not trust him? Is he telling the truth? Is he not? 
because throughout the film it was so hardwired into me that he do, don't trust his lies. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you really look at it and he's just this innocent victim. He is. And, he's and literally just though, trying to help him. He's just trying to help Lenny. Right. Even though I do think he's a little crooked, he he leads him on to this, the, the one, the John G we see murdered at the end of the film, which is the beginning of the story. And when Leonard realizes it's not the John G, he turns on Teddy and Teddy's like, what's the big deal? He was a bad guy. We got 200,000 bucks out of it. And you, and you got your, you got your John G. Yeah. So he seems, he, he seems like he's out to help Leonard, but I also think it's to serve his own purposes in some ways. For sure. And I think that is paralleled with the fact that throughout the film, Teddy is not, he's never 100% up, uh, up front with Leonard. He lies to him on many occasions about who he is and the situation. But in the same respect, there are instances where it is pretty clear that he's looking out for Leonard, like his continual insistence for Leonard to leave town, that he's done, he needs to leave town. And on retrospect, you realize it's because he just wants Leonard to move on with his life. Yeah. And then he also says, oh, go ahead. That That's the thing, though, for me about the ending is it just shows that Leonard is not satisfied with his life because he doesn't feel like he can make a life. Um, right. And he constructs this hunt endlessly just so he can have some sort of purpose. Um, yeah. And that's not even, we haven't even said the fact that the guy who invaded their house didn't actually kill his wife. He did. That was that. Yeah. That was so insane. Yeah. He had, he had his injuries. His wife was fine. His wife, he, his wife needed like, was she diabetic or something? She needed insulin shot. Yeah. She needed an insulin shot every day, but Oh man, he, she didn't believe that he really couldn't form new memories and thought he was faking it, but he wasn't faking it. And one day just, it drove her so insane. This notion that he was faking it. She tried to test him and asked him for his insulin, for the insulin shot, like five times in a day. And he couldn't remember that he'd already given it to her. So he just did. And she died from that overdose. It is tragic. Yeah. Is the only word I can use to describe it. Tragic. It's it's yeah. horrific. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's so sad, and you really, you really. If it weren't for the fact that Leonard set himself up to kill Teddy, you'd feel really. You, I would really pity Leonard as a character. Yeah. And in, and I still think you can. I, I I do pity him in some ways, but in other ways, you can see that he's just as deceptive as Natalie or Teddy. Yeah, it's all of this told like it wouldn't work chronologically. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Because you would know the ending right away, basically. You would know what's going to happen. But the way it's written and filmed just adds all of the intrigue, all of the tension that's needed to just make it right. phenomenal. Yeah, and this is a film that if you played it forwards, it, it would be... Well, it, like you said, it wouldn't function as a proper structured film, a, a standard structured film. But if you did, it would be a pretty, uh, I would say, average story. So the structure is one of the things that makes it so unique and so good. And yeah. it just points to how important structure is over a film. And I think as we look further down in Christopher Nolan's career, how often he uses structure to most effectively tell the story. Now, not to the extent that Memento does, because Memento, the linchpin of Memento is telling the story backwards, but you can see how well he uses structure. Yeah, it's a masterclass of writing and editing. Mm, I, I absolutely agree. And Carrie Ann Moss and Guy Pierce, both of them were stellar in this film. It's it's really good. I'm so happy I finally got a chance to watch it. I hadn't seen following Memento or Insomnia prior to this past week. So it was really interesting to watch Nolan's earlier films and see, kind of see how he's evolved to where he is today as a director. And this is definitely not just a stepping stone, but a monumental film in his career. Yeah. I know a lot of people who's favorite Nolan movie is Memento. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, if I, if you don't mind me jumping into scoring, it's no, go ahead. It's nine out of 10 for me. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nine out of 10 for me as well. I, I really don't have any complaints. I guess you could say, and, and you might be able to answer this better. It might suffer on rewatch because you understand the the narrative structure but maybe you could clear that up honestly it's better on rewatch for me really you, okay good for me at least i don't know about you but because of the jarring nature of the structure and just how you need to get used to it and change how you think about the story i missed a yeah. lot of details on initial viewing um but yeah. uh and I, I hope you'll find this when you watch it again on second viewing so much of it became so much more clear and I understood so much more of the motivation behind all of the characters and just really just all the events that were happening less time trying to figure out what's going on and more time understanding the complexities of it exactly I think it improves on rewatch yeah one final point I do want to make is that one of the benefits of the structure is each sequence, you know, each forward sequence before they jump back to the next, to the last scene. Yeah. I loved how each sequence set up this little mystery that the next scene, the previous scene would set up, would explain. Yeah. And that, I really liked that. It really kept the whole thing engaging throughout, not just after you finish figured out the quote unquote gimmick, uh, did it get bland, but it was continually refreshing. 
Yeah. One of my, one of my one of my favorite one of those is when we just suddenly cut to him running away from some dudes and he's like, <laughs> "Okay, who am I running from?" No, I, I I that was one of the parts of the movie I laughed out loud. He's like, "I'm I'm chasing someone. Oh no, they've got a gun. I'm being chased by them." Yeah, it's so good. It's so it's good. So good. It's so good. It's fantastic. <laughs> you about ready to move on? I, I, I think so. All right. So we're going to move into our second segment. And as we mentioned at the top of the episode, we are going to be ranking our favorite Christopher Nolan films. I will be doing all 10 because of scheduling issues. Elijah's going to be doing eight of 10. And yep. we'll be going from worst to best. But I'd just like to, for my own personal list, I'd just like to say I don't think there are any bad Christopher Nolan movies. And I've tiered it in this manner. The third tier would be good movies. Second tier, which is the majority of the list, would be great movies. And the final tier would be masterpieces. I don't mm-hmm. think there are any bad movies. I mentioned to you earlier that I would say the majority of these films are probably in my top 50. I love Christopher Nolan. And just because one is at the bottom doesn't mean I dislike it. I I love all these movies. Agreed. Um, Yeah. I don't think he's made a bad movie. And while I don't personally like go insane and love, 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 love endlessly all of his movies, I do see that all Mm -hmm. of them are, good to great movies at least right so why don't i talk about my 10 and 9 and then we'll start swapping back and forth when we get to my 8 let's do it all right so my number 10 is following it was his 1998 uh feature film debut prior to that he had done some short film short films it's very much it's still very much it feels like a student film I think his budget for it was $5,000. He filmed the whole thing over the course of several months recording just like 15 minutes each weekend, something crazy like that. Yeah. It's an hour and 10 minutes long. It's black and white set up in this. It feels like a, a French modern film. It, it, it's very interesting. It like Memento sets up this narrative structure scheme that has stuck with Christopher Nolan throughout his career. And you can see even back in 1998, how uh, just how far he could go. It's, I think it's good. This would definitely be in the good tier. And that's mostly because it still feels like a student film, but that is not a knock against it. Uh, It's a good movie and it's definitely worth a watch. What's your number nine? My number nine is Dunkirk. Wow. Which, uh, admittedly, most people would say is very low. I've, in doing research for this, I looked at a couple ranked Nolan lists and I saw several that had Dunkirk at the top, which just speaks to how good Nolan is as a director. Mm -hmm. I do love Dunkirk, it is very entertaining. One of the reasons it's this low is I just don't enjoy it 
as much as I do other films. And that's in part because in part because it is a very, it's a, it's, I don't want to say it's a war film, so I dislike it, but the structure in which it is a war film and it's talking about this very specific thing of getting British soldiers off of Dunkirk beach. It's a, it's a confined story that Nolan still manages to tell in a very unique way. I love it. Like I said, this would definitely be the beginning of the great category. Like I said, two, three tiers. This is the beginning of the great tier. Yeah. My, I don't really have any issues with it other than I think it would just for me suffers a little bit on rewatch. Hmm. Now I love Dunkirk. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. I can't say that I've watched Dunkirk twice. I've only seen it once. Um, okay. But we'll see how that reflects my rankings. I'll have to watch it again to see if I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. So no, it's, you, it's, it's an oh, expertly filmed film. Yeah. I, I love, there are some fantastic um, scenes, like the bombing scenes. I will, I'll mm-hmm. never remember the, forget never forget the shot the close-up of the soldier face down on the beach with his hands over his head and you just see the explosions in the background um and the sand comes and splashes over it's crazy definitely his most intense movie agreed yeah um if you don't mind i will jump right into my number eight my first entry please do uh and that will be the Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises. All right. Um, I think I think most people would have this toward the bottom of their Nolan ranking. Um, yeah. I think it suffers from the fact that it's trying to follow up The Dark Knight. Um, but mm-hmm. really it comes down to... <laughs> I'm trying to justify why it's the bottom of my list. I think it's too long. Um, and I also mm-hmm. don't like the twist. I think Bane should have been the big bad from the beginning and all the way through the end. I don't think Talia al Ghul was necessary. And also, I know you don't like Marion Cotillard, but I do. However, this is definitely a weaker performance from her. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really entertaining. It's more Nolan Batman. It's got some phenomenal sequences like Batman versus Bane in the sewers. Catwoman, Anne Hathaway's great as Catwoman. That's iconic. Yeah, it is iconic. I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I'm not a big fan of Anne Hathaway as Catwoman, and that's nothing against her. I just think, I I just can't get past it being Anne Hathaway. (laughs) I'm not watching Selena Kyle. I'm watching Anne Hathaway, and it's hard. I mean, fair, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I think she's entertaining uh, as Catwoman. It's fun. But uh, Tom Hardy as Bane is phenomenal. The opening sequence is stunning. Um, yeah. It's a great, great movie. Just not quite up to the levels of his other stuff, I think. There's there's more flaws in this movie than a lot of his other movies, personally. Two hours and 45 minutes and only 33 minutes of Batman. Yeah, so I, that didn't bother me much, but I do think we spent too much time in the the, the pit. Yeah, personally. Okay. All right. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna argue that. What's your so. number eight? 
before I say my number eight, I just want to point out, just mention how difficult it was to make a subjective list, which may sound silly to a lot of you, but it's really hard to overcome public perception and even the perception of friends in regard to how I should how I should think about a movie. And, I may, and you might have struggled with this a, little, a bit too, but as I was making the list, I was realizing that films that I would have towards the top, I didn't like as much as films I had at the bottom just because of public perception. Yeah, I agree. It's really hard. And it's even hard to battle with your own thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. because opinions, it's hard to realize that your opinion can change and you don't have to have the same number to pick every time like if you watch one right. that you're like oh maybe i like that one better now that's okay <laughs> right and i think it really helped me and i'll get my eight in a second here but i think it really helped me being able to watch all 10 in the past five days because i'm reminded of things and i can compare them to something i just watched hours earlier and so i think this is the the best list i could do right now and so my number eight, and remember, this is a great film. It's still a top 50 film for me. My number eight it's is It's going to be Inception, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why you were trying so hard to justify this number eight pick, and I was like, it's Inception, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to bash this film because, like I said, it's a great movie. My struggles with it, and I don't know if it's because it – it's. It might be because when I first saw it, I think I watched it so much in the course of a year that I got burnt out and didn't watch it for years after that. Mm-hmm. And I had no, really no desire to watch it for years after that. But then sitting down to rewatch it again this past week, I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is a, good, this is a great movie. The concepts are great. The cast is good. But I still felt like I, I don't really want to go rewatch it again. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and I, and so I had this. I originally had this top three, mm-hmm. and it was really a struggle for me to accept the fact that there are films that many would view as inferior Nolan works that I had above this film. Yeah, and that's okay. Yes, subjective list, and that's okay. <laughs> Uh, no, but this is a great movie. The cast is great. I'm not a big Leonardo DiCaprio fan, but it's undeniably, he's undeniably great. And yeah, and uh, Hardy, Hardy's in this film as Eames, and he's amazing. I think we'll talk honestly, more about it. In, mm-hmm. We will talk more about it later, but I think Killian Murphy is hidden MVP here. He for such a supporting role, delivers such a powerful emotional performance, I think. Yeah. No, he really does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's cool. Your number eight's Inception. I am telling you now that I accept you for who you are. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) Um, My number seven, moving on, if you don't mind, is the prestige. Okay. Um, again, we talked about it earlier. It's a great movie, undeniable. It's right. entertaining. 
great performances. There's not much inherently wrong with it. It just didn't really sweep me away like a lot of the other Nolan movies. It didn't have that immediate emotional urgency. I just, I felt a disconnect a lot of the time during it. And yes, looking back, I can understand more of the story, more of the characters, but the fact remains that while I'm watching it, it doesn't grab me quite as much as his other work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah. So I'd say more, but we've, I, we've spoken enough about the prestige. Yes. <laughs> My number seven is insomnia. Okay. It's a 2002 film by Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Uh, starring Al Pacino, Hilary Swank, and Robin Williams. It's got a great cast. And I think this film is severely overlooked because it's sandwiched between Memento and Batman Begins. And and maybe rightfully so. It's a remake of, like I said earlier, a 1997 Norwegian film. It's definitely the least Nolan film of the ten because it is a remake, but he still manages to put his own touch on things the film is about a LAPD homicide detective who is sent to a very remote town in Alaska to solve the death of this teenage girl and I'm I'm really excited for you to watch this movie because it's a great cat and mouse thriller and the atmosphere, the setting is wonderful. Robin Williams plays against type here. And I was really surprised by that. And I was really surprised at how well he did that. Yeah. It's definitely one I think we should talk about in further depth after you've seen it. Be happy to. I'm glad it was yeah. that good. Yeah. And this is really a film that I struggled placing because I wanted it to be higher on this list, but then I looked at the other films and I was like, what? I, and I kind of like those better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really excited to watch it. I love the cast and I would love to see Nolan kind of step outside his comfort zone. So yeah, we'll see what that entails. Um, ready for my number six? I am ready, Freddie. I will say right off the bat that numbers four through six were obscenely difficult to rank. And honestly, depending on the day, they will probably all swap around. I was confident in <laughs> one through three. I was confident in seven and eight. I am not yeah. confident in these. So with that said, six is Batman Begins. Um, okay. Okay. It's... At the time, it was by far the best Batman we'd gotten. Nolan brings such oh, a gritty, clearly. such a gritty realism to the world of Gotham, while still maintaining a lot of that comic bookiness with like the fun fear gas scenes and the um, and the narrows. Yep, and just uh, the it really revolutionized Batman because it was all practical. They built the tumbler. That's awesome. <laughs> It was just Ra's al Ghul's a great opponent and it's kind of obvious that he's going to be the bad guy, I guess, but it's, Liam Neeson is still super cool. Uh, Christian Bale's great into the role. 
great in the Batman role. Um, Michael Caine is perfect as Alfred. Like Michael Caine. There is never going to be another Alfred that can come close to Michael Caine, in my opinion. Um, yeah. It's just I, such... I absolutely agree, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's such a great launching point for the next generation of Batman. Um, and it's just entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a good time to point out my number six is also Batman Begins. Sweet. Just get your head inside of 2005 going to see Batman Begins. The last Batman film coming out, I believe it was eight years prior, being Batman Forever. Um, George Clooney. No, I think I think Batman and Robin was... No, no Batman. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking of that one, Batman and Robin. Yeah. yeah. With George Clooney, the yeah. Bat Nipples, and Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> as an atrocious Mr. Freeze. That, oh. What killed that was the so dinosaurs? Bad. The Ice Age. Oh. <laughs> oh, it was really bad. And I think maybe some people had a certain level of doubt when going to see this film. I don't know. I was young but Nolan revolutionized live action Batman and gave us the best version of a live action Batman it was the Batman we needed and the Batman we deserved after this atrocious I would argue he revolutionized the live action superhero film I don't don't think we get an MCU without Batman Begins no, I. Yeah, I. Prior to that, there had been, I, I would say, the two biggest successful franchises. Prior to that, were X Men and the Sam Raimi Spider Man, yeah, films, I and even those, those, even those, which I'm a big X Men fan, and it's clear that those Raimi Spider Man films were good, but those don't come close to Batman, the Nolan's Batman, in yeah. my opinion. I agree. Spider-Man 1 and 2 are close, but Nolan's Batman is another level. And it really bridges the gap between the early 2000s superhero films. The whole trilogy does. And then in 2012, coming out with it rises when the MCU was already underway. It bridges that gap in between. And I don't... You'd be hard-pressed to say that many of the MCU films or superhero films in general are as good as even the worst of the Batman trilogy. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So Batman Begins, number six. Side note, I love Scarecrow a lot. Oh, Killian Murphy kills it. He does. Um, my number five, which, as I said, this was absurdly hard to figure out. Number five is Memento. Hey. Um, we talked about it plenty. It's amazing for a reason. It's so clever and well put together. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's not much more we can really say about it, honestly. Right, no, I th- everything that could be said has been said. No, that's, uh, that is a worthy pick at five. My number five, and this along with Inception was one of the toughest for me to come to terms with, and that is... The Dark Knight Rises. Oh. 
because it it's probably the most criticized Nolan film. Would you agree? Easily. Yeah. And I went into it thinking, oh, this is the worst of the trilogy. And I, I really I really enjoyed it. And I didn't mind that Batman was only there for 33 minutes. It the hardest thing for me to come to terms with was that I liked this better than Batman Begins, which like we said is a great film. I love Bane. I love Tom Hardy as Bane. It is amazing. I love his introduction. The introduction where he's there in the plane and the FBI agent takes his, the the hood off of Bane and it's revealed who it is. And then you hear the voice for the first time and you see the mask. Yep. And the FBI guy's like, if I take your mask off, will you die? And he's like, it'd be extremely painful for you. It's oh, so good. And then you have the second introduction where i think they bring uh commissioner gordon which by the way commissioner gordon is amazing yes gordon your gold gary oldman as gordon is amazing gary oldman is gordon i don't see how anyone could be a better jim gordon he's awesome but the the goons bring gordon to bane and Bane doesn't even turn around. He says, why are you here? And the one goon kicks Gordon and says, answer him. And he's like, I, I wasn't talking to him. Why are you here? Oh, so good. Yeah. Bane, Bane, Bane is, is amazing. Bane is, Bane is amazing. My one complaint, and I'll say this now, is I, <laughs> I kind of wish Batman had been... Uh, the second fight for me left a lot to be desired. I kind of wish it had been a definitive, decisive Batman beat down of uh bane but yeah yeah but that's okay it is um my one last note on the dark knight rises is that it has the worst death scene i've ever seen <laughs> oh yeah that eh. time to die oh <laughs> <laughs> agree it, it's not great but it's very entertaining i haven't watched it in a while so maybe my opinion will change and it'll climb the ranks a little bit um but yeah. my number and, f- oh go ahead and it features so many pittsburgh steelers and i know you're a big steelers fan totally Love ben roethlisberger heinz ward uh, i think brett kiesel's in there so yep. many great guys mike pa- marquise pouncy i'm sorry not mike pouncy you're not even a steelers fan you must hate the steelers i don't and that's only because of coach mitchell Oh, fair enough. Um, <laughs> do Eagles fans not hate Steelers? They might. Who knows? Okay, fair enough. We're not in the cesspool of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> we didn't mean it. Um, my number four is Dunkirk. And okay. this, this, See, yeah. this ended up a lot higher than I thought it was going to. Um, it's a lot higher than I thought it would be on your list. Yeah. It's, it's his tightest movie. It's the most contained. It is super interesting to see the historical event play out, but it's like the thing that impresses me most is the primal connection you feel to these characters. Like there's so little character development, but I feel so invested when I watch this movie because 
that's another human being who is facing a life-threatening situation. And me being a human being myself, it's like, I don't want you to die. <laughs> um, right. And it just adds so much tension. The performances are all great for what they're given and the, the practicality of it all. We talk about it a lot with Nolan, but those dog fights are insane. And the mm-hmm. beach scenes with the explosions and bombings are crazy. It's just so captivating to watch and it's my some heart is great oh i think that's one of the most underrated performances of 2016 2017 2017 17 um he acts so well with just his eyeballs (laughs) oh yeah he's it is crazy that's one of my favorite performances of that year um yeah so yeah dunkirk it's my second favorite war film it is riveting and yeah, it's also Hans Zimmer's score. Nuts good. Hans Zimmer is always a win. Hans Zimmer's score is amazing. Yes. Would you, is it your second favorite behind 1917? Yes. As, as I watched it, rewatched it yesterday, I realized I, I like Dunkirk better than 1917, which surprised me because wow. I 1917. Yeah, I nineteen seventeen is just a whole nother level of special to me. Like yeah. that 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 transcended just a movie for me, but that's another discussion. Yeah. yeah. What's your no, number Dunkirk four? Dunkirk is well before I, I just want to point one more thing out about Dunkirk is how intense and borderline horror is that scene where all those British soldiers are hiding in the boat and they realize that the one soldier is French. Yeah. It's insane. It is insane. And one more note is it's interesting how there are no, they don't show any German troops. There's one moment at the end of the film when Tom Hardy's pilot is captured and you see the barrels of the guns being pointed at him, but you don't see in focus any German soldiers. And it really speaks to the fact that it was very much a race against time and yeah. time being the enemy and that is echoed in the ticking of the clock in the score yeah and those gun barrels are almost like them reaching across the finish line right it's crazy yeah so my number four is the prestige which ended up higher than i expected it to it's yeah. Like like we already mentioned, a really great film. I think Christian. I love I love the the Bale Nolan collaboration. It's great. Mm-hmm. I love Hugh Jackman. Scarlett Johansson is great in this film. Bowie is great in this film. It's really dark. Uh-huh. I like. I enjoy the twist at the end. Everything along the way. It's such a great period piece as well. Yep. It, it's a great and movie. It, it's 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 a great movie. It's just a lot of fun, and it's a little peek into the that world and we don't see that world on film yeah practically ever so it was a lot of fun i do have one very quick question for you about it you gave the prestige an 8.5 does that mean all the movies below it are lower than that i'm just curious not necessarily i would have to think about it but i wouldn't say anything would be below an eight with probably the exception of the of following Good to know. 
Um, ready for the top three? Yeah, and yeah, go. Yes, I am. Okay. Number three is The Dark Knight. Nice. Um, nice. I, I knew right away this was my number three. It is the best superhero movie ever made, in my opinion. Um, though I will say, Into the Spider-Verse made a good go at it. Um, but The Dark Knight is just... I mean, what what can you say to have? It, it's so good that it's now considered cool to not like it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, Those people are pathetic. They are. It's Heath Ledger is legendary, and he obviously elevates the movie. But even beyond that, oh gosh, even beyond that, the whole the fairy dilemma is fascinating. Batman's internal struggle with the loss of Rachel, and he even loses Rachel before she dies because he loses her to um, Harvey. Watching Harvey's downfall is heartbreaking, and it all of this very comic book stuff, like the birth of Two-Face feels very plausible because of how Nolan does it. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Gosh, I, I love this movie and objectively it's the greatest superhero film ever. And I don't think. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Did I make an absolute statement? You just said objectively it's the best superhero movie of all time. <laughs> I think objectively it's the best superhero movie. I don't think many come close to that. That would be a subjective opinion then. No, because it's not my subjective favorite superhero film. But you think it's subjectively the best superhero movie? Am I confusing no. you yet? I just wanted to make no. a Star Wars joke. <laughs> No, because I, I, obje- if I was being objective, I would say it's the best superhero film. It's my second favorite superhero film, and it is amazing. I love this film. I'll talk more about it in a bit. So Very soon. I'm guessing it's very soon. I'm predicting. Uh, I won't make a prediction. I won't ruin your list. <laughs> What's uh, your number three? Uh, number, three, number three is Memento. Wow. Wow, you loved it. Yeah, no, it was it was really good i really enjoyed it a lot of these films i go into and my my reaction is okay make me love this film i'm gonna start out pessimistic and you're you're gonna have to make me love this film and this film makes me love it so yeah it's what more can be said sweet i dig yeah Ready? I Next know. one? Oh, any yep. more on Memento? Okay. No, I believe I know what your number two is. Yeah, my number two. And there's a big plot twist here. Mm. Inception. Yes! Yes! I know you've been waiting for this. Wow. Okay, wow. This is... Dude, this has... A reference... Inception has previously been my number one on my all-time list. This has huge implications, dude. Yes, we know. Life, life-altering, world-shattering implications here. Well, I'm really, I'm really curious about your, your, your all-time list now. I'll sort that mess out later. Um, <laughs> that is a huge 
goodness. That's the mess I want to be talking about. Who cares about this list? I haven't gotten there yet. Even I haven't figured it out. Um, oh. So, yeah. Inception is my number two Nolan movie, and I want to say right off the bat that I think it's a perfect movie. I think it's one of the most inventive movies of all time. But I, I had to be honest with myself that on my most recent rewatch, which was about a month ago, like Forrest, yeah. it, I just didn't feel the magic quite as much because I've watched yeah. it to death. I've overanalyzed it to death. And that that overanalysis has caused me to just desperately try to find something new to hold on to every time I watch it instead of just getting swept away. And it didn't sweep me away as much this 800th time I've watched it. Um, I'll never deny its importance to me as a person. It literally was the movie that got me into movies. Um, but yeah, I, if I'm honest with myself, I cannot say it's my favorite movie or my favorite Nolan movie right that's now. A, that's a very big admission. And it feels like you have to admit I'm, that Empire wasn't your favorite. <laughs> I'm still back and forth on that. Yeah. Logan's your favorite. I know it in my heart. So I, you put it very aptly. It just didn't have the magic that a lot of these other Nolan films have. I've seen, I've seen rises a ton of times. And every time I watch it, it's like I'm watching it again for the first time. And you would, think that i would have the same reaction to inception and i just didn't unfortunately so that's why it was low on my list yeah it's I'm not really to say, surprised it doesn't it's not magic list it's not devoid of right. feeling or anything at all but the fact that i've watched it so much and i've overanalyzed it to death just i i can't not bump it down at this point it it, I, it doesn't hold the mm-hmm. same weight when i watch it anymore well, I'm I'm surprised by that, but I'm glad that you were able to remove any preconceived ideas. And it be, was real hard. I this list was really hard to make, dude. Yeah. Speaking of, what's your number two? My number two is The Dark Knight. Yep. And this is getting into the masterpiece tier of my list. These mine. My two, the top two films of this list are both top 10 all time. The Dark Knight is just so incredible. I watched it again this week, like I mentioned before, and it just swept me away. Christian Bale is amazing as Bruce Wayne. Maggie Gyllenhaal is a great replacement for Katie Holmes. I think she's even better than Katie Holmes was in. I agree. Yeah. And that's not a knock against Katie Holmes. I just think the role is so much better suited with Gyllenhaal. Uh, Harvey Dent was awesome. This film is just so well done. And, dude, I'm going to make a major statement. Heath Ledger is, without a doubt, the best Joker of any media all time. Wow. That may not be a huge, that may be like a no duh for most of you, but I have struggled back and forth between the Ledger version of Joker and the Mark Hamill version of Joker. And it's, it's so clear to me that Heath Ledger's Joker is the quintessential Joker. And it pains me so terribly that he passed away 
even yeah. before this film came out and we we didn't have an opportunity to see maybe a, a third film uh a, the final part of the trilogy with joker yeah but it's, it's which a makes this yeah which makes this film all the more better that you can just savor this one film with one of the greatest performances of all time in my opinion and it has infinite rewatchability all the best parts of dark knight rises are the best parts of that film because they remind me a little bit of what the dark knight was yeah if, if that makes sense it's it's so good this idea of just the cost of being batman and how the city turns on him it it, it, it <laughs> i said it a lot but it's just so good yes it is and michael kane <laughs> as alfred cannot be touched yeah and i, I love that he's he's telling bruce that the, the the city needs Batman, even though Bruce is trying to hang it up, and Michael Caine's there. Nope, not yet. And then, uh, and I'll we can move on here in a second. But and then, uh, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox is is great, and I just wanted to mention that everyone's great, dude. It's Gary it's Oldman. <laughs> it is a masterpiece. And after rewatching it, I realized this has got to be much higher in my top 10 than I originally had at all time. I'm, I'm me. I'm speaking. Yeah. Well, so, I think wanna... I, I, I was going to say, I think that just leaves one option left for our number ones on the, on the count of three. Okay. On, one, wait, on, on two, three or on go on three or on go. We'll, we'll go one, two, three, then say it. Okay. One, two, three. Interstellar. Interstellar. Darn you. We, we did it. Interst- we did it. Kind of. Talk about a movie that doesn't oh. lose the magic. Dude, I watched, this was the last movie of the 10 I watched, and I was blown away. This film is a masterpiece. Uh-huh. It, it gets more magical every time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched it sitting in the theaters there. I didn't know what to expect. I, I, I was, I was that it was a weird, it was a Saturday basketball practice. And afterwards, it was just my dad and I. And he's like, let's go watch a movie. I was like, sweet, what are we watching? He's like, Interstellar. And I was like, what's that? So I had no clue what it was. I went in and I was utterly blown away. Contrary to your story with this movie, I in anticipation of well i had seen inception and that immediately made me chris nolan's number one fan so i knew i knew interstellar was coming out i was desperately craving any bit of information i could get about it i remember reading the time magazine article about interstellar's production at my school library (laughs) i was Uh, hyped and then it exceeded my expectations it's incredible. Every scene is memorable. It's beautiful. And I can, I can confidently say any visual effects from this movie will hold up. There are 
so many jaw-dropping sequences the waves planet for one the fight on the snow cliff the docking sequence the bookshelves oh man you know when i went to see it the first time you you were actually you went to see it at the same showing as i and we yeah we didn't know each other yeah we bumped into each other in the lobby and i asked you because you had seen it before it wasn't your first time watching it i asked you how it was and you said it was incredible and i don't think i believed you at the time (laughs) i it was i was immediately sucked into it and if there's anything it more than any other nolan film is how i was sucked in immediately to this film i wasn't watching the movie i was experiencing movie if that makes sense oh yeah i get that it's so it's so great the the world that they've set up the earth dying it's everything even though they did take a lot of liberties in terms of their science for the film everything felt to a layman plausible if you understand what i yeah. mean it, it has my favorite film score of all time Hans Zimmer's work oh, yeah. is unbeatable here the organ is gorgeous i like Hans Zimmer's score elevates the movie so much that one of my favorite shots in the movie is Coop looking out a window with Hans Zimmer's score behind it. (laughs) It's so good. Also, it's one of uh, Nolan's first endeavors into IMAX filming, and you can see it with the aspect ratio changes throughout. And those IMAX scenes are just stunning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, which is funny because I didn't notice that until I was watching it last night, and I was like, "Well, holy crap, what is this?" <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah. Matthew also, McConaughey is go ahead. brilliant in this film. I love Matthew McConaughey in this movie. This is a movie that made me love Matthew McConaughey. He yeah, you have an unhealthy age. obsession with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Just you can't just drop obsession talk. <laughs> That was good. I'll give you that one. <laughs> I understood that reference. Uh, hey, I understood that reference. Nice. Um, I, I cannot talk about this movie without talking about the docking scene. Um, yep. I'll just let you go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. It's from the moment the lander explodes and Dr. Man gets sucked into space and dies to the swelling organ signifying the end of the scene when they successfully docked is the most perfect segment of movie I've ever seen. First off, just conceptually, there is a lot like a, I'll I'll call it um, like a, just the dock. The dock is spinning and exploding in space out of control and coop matches the rotational speed with the lander perfectly and docks on this like it's as it's plummeting toward a planet of all things it is riveting and you cannot take your eyes away and Zimmer's score is perfect and my maybe one of my favorite well it is one of my favorite shots of all time maybe my favorite shot of all time is just the wide of the planet in the background with the spinning thing just slowly just spinning off yeah through space it is stunning 
and it takes my breath away and it is just all consuming perfection <laughs> i want to point out one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the film when he's going to try to dock after the dock has exploded and i think it's the i think it's case the robot case not tars asks coop what 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 are you doing and coop's response is docking yep. and case says you can't dock it's impossible and coop says no it's necessary yeah oh it's just so good it's phenomenal and, and what a sense. great cast and hathaway i kind of berate yeah and hathaway i said i wasn't a big fan of her as Catwoman, but I think she is absolutely phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. It, the whole cast is phenomenal. The whole movie is phenomenal. It's it's our favorite for a reason. Love it. One of my favorite shots is yeah, one of my favorite shots is the shot of the the ship. I, wait, I can't remember the name of the ship. The Endurance. Surfing along the endurance surfing along the rim of the black hole. Yeah, it it's it's this is a breathtaking film from the score to the visuals. I I just want to point out, and I hadn't seen it when I first watched Interstellar, but this is so much a. <laughs> I I kind of hesitate to draw the comparison, but it's very much a love letter to two thousand one A Space Odyssey, except and interesting. I, Except interesting. That's what I was going to say. You and I both agree we're not big fans of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, we both can appreciate it for what it is and maybe what it has done for the space sci-fi subgenre. Yeah. This, it, everything, not, this isn't just a love letter to 2001 A Space Odyssey. This is so monumental this is a 2001 Space Odyssey for this generation, and it blows anything that came before it out of the water, in my opinion. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. It's a perfect movie. There's that word you go throwing around again. Yeah. There's a couple of them out there. I have not seen it. You saw 12 Angry Men. Okay, well, let's not get back into that conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't like being wrong, and I'm not wrong. <laughs> uh, we could just do a whole segment, second segment about that debate. Yeah, we definitely could, and it could probably overlap into a third and fourth segment. <laughs> anyway, this second segment has gone on for too long already. Yeah. <laughs> because we've been talking about a lot of great films so we have. do you have any more thoughts before i wrap it up here elijah uh i don't think so it, it was super fun nolan's our favorite this is probably my the most fun episode for me yet yeah as for me as excited for so in conclusion all 10 of these films are great and i recommend watching all of them if they interest you i'd I promise you they are very wonderfully made and you won't be disappointed. So as we're wrapping up here, we're just going to look towards next week 
and we're going to be watching two films, two Western films. It's going to be a bit of a Western special. We're going to be watching my pick, which is uh, Sergio Corbucci's The Great Silence. It is from the 1960s. It's a spaghetti Western. Very excited to watch that. Haven't seen it. And then we're going to be watching Elijah's neo-Western Hell or High Water from 2016. I have not seen that yet, and I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. In our second segment, we'll be doing another edition of What If Best Scene Were an Oscar, and this time around we're going to be doing 2016. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. We get the Rogue One Vader scene now. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's true. That yeah. is going to be great. So I look forward to that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So any last words, Elijah? Uh, I don't think so. I'm all set. <laughs> all right. Well, I've been forced. You guys have been beautiful. That's been Elijah. And while you're gone, while we're gone, don't be stupid. All right. We'll see you next time. Peace.